0: Today we are talking to Phil. Phil is the creator of Liningen and lead developer of Fennel. Uh, he's also creator of Atreus, uh, which is a keyboard technology kit. Uh, so you can get this at Us. We'll put links in the show notes. Today we will try to talk about uh, Liningen, even though I think we could span across many different topics. So how did you start with, with Liningen?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh well that's that's a good question we um so I started using closure back in uh, i guess two thousand late two thousand eight early two thousand nine and um, you know it was a very very different world back then uh, when I got started it was right before closure one point came out and uh, i uh, I'd been using it for a few months uh, and I got a job uh, writing closure and it was, it was very early days so not many not many folks were doing that at work mm-hmm. um and we got started using maven for that and i had never used maven at all before and um i think at that point it was it was like the situation was that if you had used maven before or you were familiar with java you could make it work and so there Mm. was a one of my teammates was able to to set it up but it really felt like oh he was the only one who could (laughs) understand what he was doing or make changes Mm. and we used that for maybe three to four months and i started to think like i really I don't feel like this is a good fit for how we do things in Closure because it was so much focused on ahead of time compilation and mm-hmm. build uh, the build as something that you just do and then you're done with. Whereas mm-hmm. in Closure, there's so much more back and forth. You know, it's you're you're getting your program running, but that's just the beginning. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with, the, right. with the REPL. And I started to think that maybe we could step back and. And what would it look like if we designed for closure from the beginning, from the ground up? So mm. um, I started that on the side, and um, I didn't want to introduce it to my team because I thought, oh, it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. But I, I mentioned it here and there. And then um, one day I came to work, and I found that my, uh, my team lead had uh, he tried to make some change in Maven. And he got so frustrated that <laughs> he went and found Linigan. And even before I told him it was ready, he's like, ah, forget it. I don't care. I'm gonna switch to this. all right <laughs> So we got that all switched over and uh mm-hmm. and so um so once we'd been using Leinigan at work for a while, um, mm-hmm. you know, we were just kind of uh seeing seeing if it was a good fit and finding some of the rough edges and um I, you know, I wanted to to make a big public release and and try to hit the 1.0, you know, which is which is what everyone's shooting for, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I made some mentions of it on IRC that I had this project I was working on, and at the time it was very much, um, you know, it was all about using. Uh, you could pull dependencies from Java, but um, there wasn't. There wasn't much out there for for if you wanted to share your closure libraries. Mm-hmm. So um, when I mentioned that I was doing this, um, I just by very happy coincidence uh, there was someone else on IRC who was talking about a, a similar project, uh, which ended up turning into Clojars, and he the, the timing was just was just really good on that. Um, he was about ready to announce the release and I've been working on this for a while I was ready ready to, to get mine you know do a, a 1.0 release and and so we, we started working with each other more and uh, so I, I was able to incorporate it so that um Clojars was included on the default list of repositories and I feel like that mm-hmm. the fact that we had those two so close together was was really fortunate and I think it allowed um, the ecosystem to really pick up steam much faster than Mm -hmm. it otherwise would have because, um, well, you know, like if you, if you are trying to build a closure program and and you can pull in all these jars from Java, but like, where are the closure jars coming from? Right. Uh,
0: It was like a synergy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really fortunate there. So um, I feel like it, it, Took off with a with a surprising amount of, of speed that that the, that the uptake happened there, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm really fortunate for um, Alex Osborne is the the fellow who ran Clojars uh, for all the work he put into it, and uh, and he continued to do a great job uh, maintaining that. He's he's no longer active uh, on the maintainership, but he was he was putting a lot of work into that for uh, for many years. So.
2: And
0: when you when so when you when you did lining and what like apart from this Maven part that you mentioned, uh, what kind of other problems you're trying to solve?
1: Yeah, so I mean, um, early on it was we had um, you know a more limited number of of tasks you could do, but even from the very start, getting the REPL working was was very important. And so, you know, the dependencies, obviously. Everything else kind of um, builds on that, and Mm -hmm. um, pulling in the dependencies was kind of the first step for Line again. Um, Mm -hmm. Early on, uh, I don't know why. Okay, yeah, early on, early on, we ended up using actually, ironically, we ended up using a, a library for Ant that could pull in the dependencies because it was before Maven. Nowadays, Maven. Released their dependency resolution library as a mm-hmm. as a library you could use on its own, but at the time it was it was all intertwined with Maven, the application, and you couldn't say I want mm-hmm. just the dependency resolution. So Ant had actually done some of the work to pull that out, and so we were using it through Ant, um, through, like because they provided an API for this, um, mm-hmm. but that was that was one of the challenges early on is to like how are we going to get these dependencies figured out because of course like we could have done um you know tried to figure out the dependency resolution logic like mm-hmm. i could have written that myself but mm-hmm. um you know there's there's always going to be some uh, edge cases and some right. even even if you try to remain compatible you know it's it was something that complicated um, I felt like there's so many pitfalls <laughs> there right. where uh, where I just want to avoid that. I said, you know what, I'm, we're in Java, we're in, we're on the JVM, we have the availability to do interop. So let's just take advantage of that and, uh, mm-hmm. and do it that way. And it ended up being the right choice, I think, in retrospect.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's the most popular build tool, right, in the environment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and sim- I think everyone else is taking that same path, and they're saying, "No, we're not going to reinvent that um, that build resolution logic. We're just going to say this is this is the one implementation, and other many tools can can use mm-hmm. share that same uh, same logic."
0: Mm-hmm. To better understand line again, and what does it do? I mean, you mentioned it's, uh, you settled on the name, it's uh, Project Automation. What would be the parts that we should discuss?
1: Yeah, so um, like when we talk about, you know, Project Automation, the the main thing people think of is is the build tool. And, and of course, like, so UberJar is is kind of the, the task Maybe mm-hmm. one way to put it would be everything is leading towards the uber jar in the end right like <laughs> if mm-hmm. you don't end up with an uber jar then like what's the point though of course it doesn't always have to be an uber jar there's other ways to there's other ways to create artifacts but something along those lines of, of, of synthesizing uh, an artifact that you can you can get out either in production or you know, for downloads that that folks can. Um... So how would you
0: describe? What is an artifact from?
1: Sure. Yeah. So artifact just being like the the output of your process, right? So if you're mm-hmm. developing an application, then that's that's the. I mean, historically, it's it's been the uber jar. I guess nowadays um, it may be more common to say that. The end of your build process is like a Docker image or something that usually mm-hmm. contains the Uberjar and the, and the you know, Java runtime as well. But mm-hmm. you're you're working towards producing something, and uh-huh. that product is is your your output. And right. It's you know you have to think differently uh, in terms of ap- when you're developing an application versus developing a library because you know when you're developing a library you're not you're just producing one little piece of the puzzle, right? <laughs> right. And then, when, yeah, when you're doing the application, you're, you're bringing all these pieces together and you're, you're building something that can, can stand alone. And so a lot of the trade-offs there, maybe one way will be better for the application and then one way will be better for the library and you have to, mm-hmm. you have to kind of understand what the context is.
0: So when we create a new project with Line Again, we will just assuming we installed it. So you can install it, I believe, with like Brew and some other package managers for different systems.
1: Yeah. So right, the the Line New task will uh, will create the project skeleton for you. The the funny thing about that is that actually uses the dependency system too. So you know, Line Again comes with some of its own like project skeletons for you to build with. So like mm-hmm. if you're making a library, it'll give you uh, you know, a directory structure that looks one way. If you're um, creating an application, then, you know, your your project CLJ file will include maybe some some of the settings that make more sense for mm-hmm. an application that you wouldn't want to see with a library. So maybe the best example of that is if you're doing ahead-of-time compilation. Um, so, you know, Clojure can do the AOT of turning your CLJ files into, you know, Java bytecode. And that can be really useful when you have an application because um, it allows it to boot more quickly and um, it can catch some problems that you might not see otherwise. But um, in a library, it's actually kind of problematic because um, the bytecode files aren't guaranteed to have compatibility across any version of Clojure. So, actually, the first version of linegan did this for libraries too said that oh I'm going to make my my jar file my jar file is going to contain not just the source but all the class files because in Java, all you have is the class files in your jars, um, and your source files are in a completely different jar um, and so we just kind of early on we we kind of just you know followed that same path. but it turned out to be a big mistake because java offers very strict compatibility guarantees across any version uh, with the bytecode. Not as strict nowadays as they used to be. (laughs) But Clojure doesn't offer any guarantees at all. Uh, You can compile something uh, and the next version of Clojure might might not work with it. So um, we learned pretty quickly uh, that we shouldn't be doing compilation unless it was uh it was an application you know okay mm-hmm. that was uh that was one of those things that we just had to learn the hard way
0: <laughs> so you mentioned the project clj file so i think this is the d file if you will for Lining again right to figure out most of the things
1: right yeah yeah the project.clj file is is kind of your entry point into line again so line again it's mm-hmm. gonna going to look in that to, to figure out what it has to do. So um, the most important thing there is the list of dependencies. Uh, anytime mm-hmm. you need to run some code inside the project, it's going to look in there and, and try to resolve all that and you know, find out what are your dependencies and what are the dependencies of your dependencies. and Walk that whole tree mm-hmm. and get them all downloaded and put them together in class path where the Java virtual machine can uh, can't have access to it. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's like the by far the most important thing. But um, there's other other flags you can set, like mm-hmm. to change the runtime behavior of the the JVM, or to say I want this path this uh, directory to be included, um, or this directory to be included. And there's some context where maybe you'll want this directory to be included in development time, but not uh, included when you're creating your jar file or creating your artifact. Or maybe even like this should be included um, only when I'm running my integration tests or something like that. So the other big thing in your project.clj file is the, the profiles you can set. Mm-hmm. You can say right. the development profile has this extra directory in it and it shouldn't be included in the jar. Any Any file, any key You can have in your project as CLJ file can be included through a profile or Mm -hmm. at the top level and that can just be like depending on what context you want to apply
0: right so if i would like to separate my development things from the production i'll just create profiles and say dev profile is this and then our test profile is that and this is how i would just separate uh, them in the environment
1: yeah yeah, exactly. So early on I thought that like I came from a Ruby background and, and in Rails you have like three environments. You have production, development, and test. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, um, that makes sense. We should we should have like you know your your base values are all the ones that are gonna go in when you're deploying. But mm-hmm. maybe we should have a development and a test as well. And um, I think that actually turned it out to be a mistake because um, there's no enclosure. You run your tests in the REPL, so mm-hmm. there's not really a sense of test that's different from development. Like when you're running a REPL, you get all your development dependencies, all your development settings, and then you know you're gonna run some run some code in the REPL, but you're also gonna run your test from the same context. You're not gonna restart your REPL just because now you wanna do you know, tests instead of other REPL stuff. It just it doesn't flow nicely. So mm. Lining has the test profile, but um, it's really it's hardly ever used and it's it's really not very helpful. And
0: when you mentioned the dependencies, so this would be the dependencies coming from CloJars. Um, how could I use, for example, dependencies from, I don't know, my local directory?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, by default, um, what you get is, um, is Clojars and then the Maven Central repository. Mm-hmm. And all those, when you fetch them, they get cached in your, like, home.m2 mm-hmm. directory. And uh, mm-hmm. that's basically, like, your own repository on your machine. But um, it's best to think of it as a cache and not like a place to store things necessarily in the in the long term because um, you know like it's very hard to keep that in sync if if I'm on one machine and I have these jars that are just in my local m2 repository but mm-hmm. not anywhere else then um, you know other people on another machine are they're gonna they're gonna have trouble finding it so um it's like it's really important when you're working on a team that all your dependencies are somewhere that everyone can access them but there are cases i think i i push really hard against um when people want to when people ask a question like that like how can i just use my local repository mm-hmm. like i really try to encourage them not to be because most of the time you're on a team and that causes trouble. But I think there are some cases where it doesn't matter because maybe you're a student and you're just trying to, you know, learn about closure, or maybe you're just having a little fun and, and making, your, making some, you know, art project in Quill or whatever, you know, and then, then it doesn't matter. And so, like, some of my advice... <laughs> Is is a little more focused on the, you know, maybe the more professional context. I feel like I have a tendency to pretend that the other contexts don't ex- exist because, uh, because I see people run into trouble when they use that that local repository. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, you can you can totally you can totally do that. You can say, okay, I have this this project over here, and I want to use it as a library in another project. I'm just going to do Line install, and then that will put the the jar file in your local uh, repository, and so other projects on your machine can have access to it. And that's uh, that's totally a, a thing you can do. Um, and even in a professional context, it can be useful sometimes. If you're um, you know if you're in development, you're not ready to cut a release yet. You just need to test things out a little more. Then mm-hmm. that's uh, that's a, that's a pretty reasonable thing.
0: That's sort of approved.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's just, you know, there's the caveat. Right. There, there.
0: So you just mentioned the caching uh, part with the M2 uh, in your home directory. What about those snapshot things? So very often yeah. you will see the dash, dash snapshot.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. But I think actually to answer that question, I have to take a step back because there's something, um, there's kind of a foundational concept in this mm-hmm. that once you grasp that everything else kind of clicks a little bit better (laughs) so let me let me talk about that first because to me um when yeah my part of my part of my design in line again is when you're running a line task then you want that um want that action to mimic uh running a closure function as closely as possible right and um so that you know, lining and tasks like when you do line new or line repl or line uberjar, lining and tasks are closure functions. Obviously, they're implemented as closure functions, but um, they you know they take the as arguments the command line arguments that you've given them, but then they also take as an argument the project.clj file that you have. Mm-hmm. And um, when you think about a closure function. Um, you know, you have you have kind of a, a goal that you want to write as much as you can. You want to write functions that are pure and referentially transparent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, what that means is when you run them, uh, they do not depend on any state other than the arguments that are passed in. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of benefits to this. Uh, when it comes to line again, the main benefit is it's just reproducible. Mm-hmm. That you get the same thing every time, right? And that's for when you're when you're creating a jar file. That's that's really important. So you, yeah, you have this you have this um, this goal that your your tasks are going to be pure functions. And then what that means is, if you run the same command with the same project.clj file, um, you'll get the same output. So that could be if it's running the tests. That could be you'll get the same pass fail state. Um, if it's creating a, a jar file, then you know you get the same bytes on disk. That's that's the goal, right? But it doesn't always work out that way, right?
0: <laughs> right.
1: So one of the things that can inf- interfere with that would be like, okay, my um, I included a repository that went down, right? And then, or maybe Oclojar oh, is just having a, uh, an incident, right? And they're unavailable for a while. Mm-hmm. Then I'm running that same command. And it worked when I ran it, you know, on my machine two days mm-hmm. ago. But my coworker tries to run the same command and it doesn't work anymore. So that's the, the importance of the local cache is, in some degree, to isolate you from those kind of problems. But, uh, you know, there are times when, if you're working on an application and you're working on a library at the same time, and okay, you make one change to your library, then you don't want to, like... Create a new version of the library, just so you can use it during development of your application when you haven't even Mm -hmm. you're not even ready to release your application yet. So that's where the idea of snapshots come in. You're saying like this is still a work in progress. Don't treat it to you know don't uh, don't don't treat it like a release. You know different rules apply there. Like when you have a snapshot, it's um, it's okay for it to change. Uh, You can't have that same um, expectation of Repeatability there, and it's just one of those trade-offs. Like being referentially transparent, being consistent is very helpful, but during development, it's it's sometimes a bit too much overhead because because of that problem of like, oh, okay, now I'm going to do version one point one point one. Now I'm going to do version 1.1.3. Like mm-hmm. that's just that's just too much.
0: So it's like an alpha.
1: Yeah, you could think yeah. about it like that it's like an alpha but it's also just like your normal rules don't apply like you hold yourself to mm-hmm. a higher standard when you have a, a so i mean in in a way like yeah an alpha has you have some expectation of quality with an alpha with like a lower expectation of quality with an alpha and you maybe with a snapshot it would be even even lower than an alpha like oh this could change you know one you know one hour to the next we're going to be this API that we had before it takes you know, three arguments instead of four now or whatever. Um, there's no expectation at all of stability.
0: It's, right. It's, so if I use if I use any snapshots in my um, dependencies, they will be also cached in this m2 uh, directory.
1: Right. Yeah, they will be cached, but they will only be cached for 24 hours. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a there's a periodic uh, recheck there. And you can even, mm-hmm. of course, uh, override that, force a check now, or you can say, no, it's been more than 24 hours, but I don't want to check. But the default is, yeah, every 24 hours, you'll okay. um, get... Just maybe there's no Ruby version, but at least it'll make a network
0: call. So this is this will be part of the development, if you will. And you also mentioned that we would run the tests with the REPL, but I can also run the tests from my line, right? So I can just say line test.
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're uh, so right, the typical development cycle in Clojure is you get your REPL up and, and you're um, you're running maybe like the test for one namespace at a time as you go because it's very can do that with one line or maybe even directly from your editor. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's you know you don't always have your editor open or the REPL approach can have some uh, some drawbacks because let's see it's not you don't always you know, maybe you've made changes to several different files, but you only have reloaded. Maybe you made changes to three files, but you've only reloaded two of them. Um, mm-hmm. You don't always have a guarantee that the state of your REPL matches the state of the code on the files on disk. So uh, we used to call that, uh, when I was first getting started with Clojure, we used to call it getting slimed. Uh, because okay. Slime is the name of the, the early REPL that we used to use, the, um, mm-hmm. like the Emacs integration that would get us a really, really fully featured REPL. Uh, nowadays, people use REPL and CIDR and Monroe instead, but uh, back when it was getting started, like, Slime was the only choice. So mm-hmm. that was our that was our pitfall, right? Like, our, oh, we just got slimed because we forgot to reload. Or even even if you did reload, there's still problems you can have because... Um, if you uh, create maybe like a test, like maybe you have you create a file that has three tests in it, and you delete one of your tests, and you reload, that test is still there in the REPL um, because reloading is additive, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's gonna it's gonna um, just run all those defs in the in the file. But it's not going to remove the defs that aren't in the file. <laughs> so so it's like there.
0: soft soft reload, not hard reload.
1: Right, right. Um, I mean, there are ways to, you know, blow away the whole namespace and start over. Mm-hmm. But that's not usually what you do when you are reloading things. Um, it's not, not part of most people's like normal cycles. So. Um, mm-hmm. So it's good to it's good to have like, um, no. I want to start a whole new process that's fresh, and just to make sure that the tests will, will pass even in that state. Mm-hmm. So that's that's your your um, what the, the line test uh, task is is mostly for. Uh, either I'm on my own machine and I want to just run from scratch, or I'm in a CI environment, right? And then mm-hmm. you know you. Know, have a repl
0: so So you mentioned slime and you mentioned that most of the people are using the NREPL. um how is lining and using now the NREPL?
1: right so um yeah so we were yeah we were using slime for for a few years early on and NREPL kind of grew out of that the thing about slime is that it was um very pragmatic choice at the time because um, you know early on uh, there wasn't much of a closure community and so um, we uh, you know we piggyback on tools like where we would have people using maven and ant uh, because that's all they had or uh, we would have and then slime was in some ways the same way because um, so slime originally was developed for using with common lisp and it was uh, it was Kind of a client-server model where Common Lisp runs, um, opens a socket, and Emacs talks to it. And Slime is the name of the application within Emacs that. And so early on, it was it was really um, kind of uh, a neat hack to be able to use Slime, like we could we could piggyback on on this existing tool that was that was really full featured, and we just had to write a closure version of the server, and that was ported from. From Common Lisp in a very literal manner, so it was like not particularly idiomatic closure, um, Mm -hmm. but it just matched the the original code very pretty closely. Um, And also, it was closure idioms. It was so early that closure idioms hadn't had time to develop yet, and people were, uh, you know, early on, all a majority of people doing closure were coming from a background in Common Lisp or Scheme. And mm-hmm. so they just kind of took their um, their patterns of coding and did that so there were so that was that was the early situation but um, I, I kind of took over the maintenance of um, of that server that worked with Slime. Mm-hmm. it was called swank uh, oh, and yeah. that was kind of where I got my feet wet with maintaining uh, open source closure code but I ran into a lot of problems because um, the Common Lisp developers were not that interested in uh, <laughs> in maintaining compatibility with uh, with the closure implementation. They wanted to just make their changes and not have to worry about anything else. But it caused a lot of breakage, and mm-hmm. um, so eventually, I just said, "Forget it. We're staying with this one version forever." If you want to use closure, you have to use this version of slime, of slime, and if you want to use Common Lisp, go get the newer version, but we're not going to keep following all the, mm. the incompatibilities in the protocol. And so it, it, it was not a great situation there. And so what ended up happening, and, and another big problem is everyone was like, oh, sl- Slime is so good, but um, you know, other other editors maybe don't have that same uh, interaction with the uh, REPL. Mm-hmm. So Chas Emmerich ended up wanting to like he saw the problems we had with slime and he said like oh should we like try to port slime to other editors? Well I don't think so because look at all these problems they have with compatibility. Let's let's start from scratch and let's design something that makes sense for Clojure and mm-hmm. is like hampered by these other concerns. And that's the NREPL protocol which um which was really in my opinion like well designed it It was pretty uh, pretty notable in that it was it was agnostic on both sides of this of the connection. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, like when we were working with slime, it was it was pretty obvious that there was like a problem that it only works with Emacs, right? How much better would it be Mm -hmm. if we had one server that you could connect from Vim, from Eclipse, from um, maybe Sublime was somewhere there. Sublime, yeah. He also took it one step further, and he said, um, "That's great, but like, of course, we should support all the different editors, but we should also support all the different languages, right? Like, if I write an nREPL client in my editor, you know, maybe I write one for for Atom. Um, mm-hmm. It'll work with Closure. Why does it have to only work with Closure? Why not design the protocol so that it could work with, you know, JavaScript?" Or um, Scheme or Lua or anything, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was that was in there from the beginning. That was that was part of the design that mm-hmm. you could that there was nothing specific to closure with with the protocol. Like you had the the basic um, operations that you could do, like evaluation, loading files, um, you know, describing uh, documentation for, for something, but. Mm-hmm. None of those ideas are specific to Clojure. So Linegan was, I think, the first. So well, the the nrepl server Mm in Clojure was an independent project from Linegan, but I think Linegan was the first application to use it and embed it. Mm -hmm. And so when you run Linerepl, what it actually does is it it launches your application, and it starts uh, an nrepl server inside your application. And then it says um, so that's the that's that's your project's code base, right? Mm-hmm. But then from Linegan's own process, it says, I'm going to be a client and I'm going to connect to your project's code base over this socket, and then whatever you type in in the um, in the console and the standard in again gets sent across the wire. Uh, mm-hmm. Using using that socket connection. So, um, mm-hmm. of course, you can do that over a network too. You can say, "I'm going to launch, I'm going to do Line REPL Headless on this machine. I'm going to do like an SSH tunnel and do Line REPL Connect from this machine, and it all goes through." And, you, know, you can use that for debugging, and production. So that's that's within the context of of closure and, and Line Again. But because of that, like really forward thinking decision in the beginning to say. No, this is a language agnostic protocol. Now you can you can take those those tools. Like mm-hmm. uh, there's I don't this I don't think this works with CIDR. CIDR is is very closure specific, makes a lot mm-hmm. of assumptions about the code base, but there's another NREBel client for Emacs called Monroe that doesn't have any of that stuff, any of those assumptions baked in. And so you can take that and you can connect that to uh, an NREBL server running basically any language you want. Um, so I mentioned we have NREPL service, servers for uh, for Scheme, for Lua, for JavaScript. There's several more, too. Those are just the ones off the top of my head. I think they're Python one, maybe? But just this, this really broad spectrum of, of languages. And like the Lua one, I wrote the Lua one. It's very simple. Um, mm-hmm. So part of the want- reason of wanting to be language agnostic is that you want to make something that's easy to implement, and uh, if you have like the the Lua one, you just need you know you need access to sockets, and then you need uh, an implementation of something called Bean which mm-hmm. is um, roughly analogous to JSON, but um, dramatically simpler to parse and and emit. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the, from the implementation perspective, uh, I want to say it's like uh, oh, I can pull it up here. It's about it's sixty-six lines of Lua <laughs> to implement All the right. encoder and decoder for that. Mm-hmm. You know that's sixty-six lines for the encoding, and then another hundred fifty to two hundred lines for the server, and that's that's your Repl. You know that that gets you a server that can that can communicate that protocol. And now suddenly you've got you've got support for Emacs, Vim, Atom. You know, um, probably IntelliJ. All these languages that have um, NREPL servers that have been or NREPL clients that have been mm-hmm. looking for closure, you get you get this stuff kinda of for free. As long as you don't make any closure specific assumptions. Um, mm-hmm. so maybe maybe like your doc string lookup isn't gonna work in Lua because like they don't even have doc strings, but your like regular eval and stuff.
0: No. Uh, And of course, you know really a lot about this stuff because you wrote Fennel, which is a, would you call it a closure or a lisp on a Lua?
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, uh, We call it, I mean, it's, we refer to it as just a lisp. Syntactically resembles closure pretty closely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as long as you're not doing any any interop, uh, a lot of of code will will go straight over. But that that ends up being kind of... Mm -hmm more coincidental than anything else um, okay uh,
0: and i'm sure we will end up talking a bit about fennel maybe on another episode but let's just try to go back and talk about maybe the next step of our line
1: again sure yeah so um so in, in introducing NREPL in, in line again was yeah. uh, it was a big success and it, it ended up getting us um, a lot of flexibility there i think maybe i mentioned um but we use, you know, nrepl at work. We, um, you know, when we need to debug a, a problem in production, we can, mm-hmm. we can just set up the port forwarding and then line-repl connect, you know, whatever port, and you're instantly into um, your, your production environment there. So you have to be really careful when you're doing that, of course, and tend to, right. tend to try to avoid doing that kind of work solo, like, it's always good to have an extra pair of eyes when you've got sure. the um, the REPL up into production, but it could be, I mean, some of those sometimes when you hit a bug that is particularly confusing, like mm-hmm. you figure it out and you're like, I don't know how I would have done that without the REPL Like that it would, it would take mm-hmm. days.
0: <laughs> so talking about those war stories, if you will, uh, I mean, since you're the maintainer and the creator of Liningen, and uh, what would be the tips you would give maybe for people to either do or Maybe you see something that you feel like it should not have been done this way, or the other way around. You maybe give some tips like how you should use line and stuff like that.
1: Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I think um, the most the most general advice I would give mm-hmm. is um, just like keeping that idea in mind of this should be a um, this you want your. Your project automation to be a pure function as much as possible, mm-hmm. you know. And like, if you can kind of structure things so that they work towards that goal of repeatability, then that's just going to make a lot of problems uh, mm-hmm. go away. And that's that's just something I've seen borne out over and over again with um, with talking with people like debugging problems on IRC or or something. Um, mm-hmm. You just kind of get a sense for you know you you run into enough of people, people asking you questions and you start to get an intuition for like, Oh, what's, what's going wrong here? And Mm -hmm. uh, a a lot of the time those, it comes down to those problems of um, your local M2 cache is, you did something that caused that to get out of sync with your teammate or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of where I would, um, where I'd start with for that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think with Lanigan, what else? The, um, I guess the, the plugin system would be another, another thing that I, I think is, would, I would call like a success story there. Okay. So the way that plugins work in Linegan is um, they're really just another kind of dependency, but most of your dependencies, you know, you declare them and they get injected into your, I mean, they get, they get loaded into your project. Mm-hmm. And the plugins are like that, but they don't go into your project, they go into Linegan's own process. And that maintaining that separation is actually um, really important for again because it means that you know again can use this version of closure and your project team uses that version of closure, and they don't have to um, they don't have to line up. One of the one of the downsides with that is that um, it takes longer to start lines. So that's that's like one of the biggest complaints people have with again is that um, it's just. It's it takes a while to start, and that's like a large part of that is that Linington has to launch itself, and then on top of that, it has to launch another JVM with uh, your project in there that's completely isolated, right? Because you don't want Linington's versions to interact interfere with the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something I was very like strict on from the beginning that we had to have this isolation. Um, otherwise it just gets really out of hand and, and not not everyone does this like uh, Ruby gems I, I did some work with Ruby gems early on and I know I know they don't have that same like separation there um, mm-hmm. and it means that you have to code much more carefully because you don't know what context your codes going to be running in but so you have that you have that separation and, and that separation means that you can write Plugins that could pull in any kind of dependencies, and they don't have to, you know, line up with the dependencies of your project.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe can we just describe one use case of this depend of this plugins?
1: Right. Yeah. Sure. So, um, one of the most common plugins I would say would be Line Ring, mm-hmm. and that's uh, so that's gonna you know, Ring is is your HTTP server, so it gives you um, you know, gives you this interface that you can start um, uh, start your application, and you you just code against this this very generic interface, and, and you can run it in a variety of different um, implementations. Mm-hmm. And Line Ring is kind of a a Swiss Army knife for that launch. You 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 declare like, oh, this is the namespace that my application lives in and it can handle uh, launching all that in development and then when it's time to um, to deploy it can produce uh, a special kind of archive that that works with um, some of the standards around http uh, deployment that that exist in the in the java ecosystem you know predating closure you know real real focused on that that one task of working with web applications that that use this interface, but Mm -hmm. um, not, not everyone who writes web applications uses that, but it's, it's, it's pretty handy when you are
0: um, would you also notice some patterns that you very often use, but people don't, uh, in Liningen?
1: Yeah. So, um, I'm going to talk about middleware, but I'm not going to say that this is like a success story of Liningen because it's actually, it's actually been a little problematic in some ways, but I think it's interesting to, um, to explore those ways, right? Like, um, I just was talking about Ring, and Ring is hugely successful and just right. being a, a great abstraction for web applications. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that makes Ring so successful is that idea of middleware. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you start with your application, and then you, you throw some middleware onto it, and the middleware can make all kinds of changes to, like, um, to, to so the the middleware intercepts the um, the arguments to your application, and it can make changes in there, and then pass those that changed version onto your application, and then it, it gets access to the um, the return value from your application, which is you know the HTTP response, and it can make mm-hmm. changes there as well. And um, middleware isn't being to invent middleware; um, it's it's really just you know. Uh, formula a form of function composition mm-hmm. but uh ring uses it as a convention to really great effect you could you know you can have middleware that handles you know turning parsing uh you know multi-part form parameters and turning them into a nice data structure that's kind of mm-hmm. a really common one you can have a, uh, middleware that handles a session store you can put the session in a database, or you can have a, a ring that handles caching and, uh, or middleware that handles caching. And then, you know, maybe a request comes in that's in the cache and your application doesn't even need to run at all because it can just pull the same response out there.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: very, very flexible. You can do all kinds of different things with that.
0: Mm-hmm. And how would you use middleware in line? Would that be just yeah, a keyword?
1: So, um, so yeah, like you can configure middleware uh, with yeah, in your project at CLJ file by saying like middlewares, and then a vector of mm-hmm. of these these things. <clears throat> um, but I would say it's been a little bit less, uh, a little bit less of a success story in line again And there's a couple different reasons for that, and mm-hmm. um, I think they're they're interesting to explore. So one of those reasons is that um, you can do um, you can make middleware implicit, and this is this is maybe the, the biggest uh, the the one that I, I would maybe if I had to do it over again I would I would not not support this method. But what this mean what that means is you can if you're writing a plugin you can include middleware in your plugin and that middleware will be applied to any project that uses your plugin mm-hmm. automatically. And I think that's where it starts to get uh, kind of uh, kind of problematic because um, one of the things that one of the strengths of Lion again is that, you know, it maps closely to the idea of a function call, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're taking your project map and you're passing it to this function, and then it's going to do it's going to do some things. But what it does, it depends on what your project map looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And you can look at your project.clj file, and you could see what your project map looks like. It's right there. Um, and maybe maybe it's a little more complicated because you are going to apply a profile to it or something. But but even that, like, it's pretty easy to understand what's going to happen there right you merge these maps together that's that's not complicated um but or you know it can get complicated but most of the time <laughs> hey. uh, so you can you can you can you can understand what's going to happen and that that's really important um but then you throw middleware into the mix and suddenly um there's just more places for things to go wrong, or there's more places for problems to hide, because now you have your project map as it exists in your project.clj file, and then you have the profiles you might merge into it, and then that gets passed to the middleware, and the middleware function does who knows what to it. It can Mm -hmm. do anything to it, it can add in new keys, Mm -hmm. it can drop keys, it can replace things. Um, And then (coughs) that new project map Gets passed to the the task function, and like it's it's difficult to debug. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So I feel like that is maybe that's an okay trade off when you are asking for the middleware, right? Like I say, okay, this is my project map, and this is the plugin I want to use, and that plugin contains some middleware. So. I'm going to tell Linegan to use that middleware. Like me as the project author, is telling Linegan about the middleware. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that maps onto concepts I understand, right? Because I know closure, I know how maps work, I know how merging maps work, I know how, um, you know, a map can be changed, and before, like, using function composition, this. This function can, this middleware function could change the map before this other function gets it. Mm-hmm. Like all those concepts are concepts I already know because I'm a closure developer. But um, when you have um, middleware that you didn't ask for, I just said, "Hey, I want to use this plugin," and Lightning's like, "Oh, hey, I noticed this plugin has some middleware. I'm going to use it for you, without without your without you explicitly telling me to use it." Mm-hmm. Then it starts to get a little, like, a little more difficult Harry. to debug because, yeah. you know, you're you're starting to see, like, things. Come, where did that come from? Where did this get introduced? Like, I didn't I didn't ask for this. So, mm-hmm. um, so when you're saying like, oh, what kind of advice would you have? I would say like, I think middleware is is really powerful and it can be can give you a lot of flexibility. But you have to, like, anytime you're introducing something that's that powerful, you really have to make sure that you're not getting in the way of debugging. And Mm -hmm. I think the the middleware that comes from a plugin implicitly is is one of those things that, like, people aren't gonna, that's not gonna make sense to people. People are gonna, if that, like, the intention is, like, oh, yeah, fewer, less configuration, great. And when it works, like when you pull in an implicit middleware and it does what you want it to do, like, okay, great. But when it doesn't work, like, oh, what a headache. And that extra, like, putting in that extra one line saying, like, mm, actually, I, I really want that middleware, and that's something that I want. That's not something that i just got by accident. That's right. That's actually, that's really, that's, that's worth that extra line. Like the, the trade-off there is, is definitely.
0: All right. So if I'm using line again and if I run into any problems, where should I reach out to?
1: Yeah. So um, I'm pretty active on the on the like the GitHub issue tracker. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a great way to to get get folks' eyes on things, uh, and that you know you'll probably see other other line again maintainers as well there. I'm also around on the Linegan channel on FreeNode on IRC, so you know that's that's always a good place to be. There's uh, plenty of other other Linegen users there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, I'm told, there is a, a Linegan channel on the the Clojurian Slack, but um, I I'm not on that one myself, so um, the answers there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's people there who are, are knowledgeable, but I can't um, mm-hmm. can't vouch for that personally myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, we also have a mailing list. The mailing list doesn't get as much traffic these days, so most of the things I think uh, GitHub is your best bet for. Unless there's um, you know, if there's if there's some idea for a contribution to Lightning itself, then mm-hmm. the IRC channel might be better for a little more a little more back and forth. But um, or or if you're having trouble um, like developing a plugin, then um, then the issue tracker might not be, uh, be the best for that and then mm-hmm. hit us up in chat yeah that we got a, we got a good channel there um, oh the uh, I guess another exciting thing in the with the with the, the folks in the in the community there is that um, we just had line get packaged in apt so it's uh, it's available in debian now mm-hmm. um, which uh, which I've been looking forward to for a long time we had a we had a uh, version one get get packaged, but then in version two there were so many new libraries that we depended on that um, the that that didn't get didn't get packaged for many years. But uh, Elena Hashman has been like super helpful in, in getting that going, and so that's mm-hmm. that's uh, really extending the reach of Lining in quite a bit. So mm-hmm. it's very great.
0: Well, Phil, thank you so much for creating Liningen, and you know this is the probably one of the most used uh, projects in the whole closure ecosystem. So, yeah, it's been great to talk to you and listen about everything Liningen.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was glad I could uh, glad we could talk a little and uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for having me on.
0: I'm yeah. sure we will do it again with some other projects you're working on.
1: Great, yeah, look All forward right. to it. All right.
0: Thank you. Bye. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or any other platform you're listening to. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can blog about it, discuss it on your own podcast, and you can support it directly by buying my video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure at my website, jaceksche.com. That's J-A-C-E-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thank you for your support of this show.